All right. Special edition of the No Fly List. Emergency pod version. Edition. Whatever. Um, I am Ushin Rugday. I am joined by Nadim Jetha. And our co-hosts are also not present today because apparently they have better things to do. But, uh, yeah, Democratic debate. That was something. It was something, all right. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I I cannot believe you got me to watch that thing. I was struggling. I got to halftime. And uh, I I don't know which one was worse, whether it's watching – Two minutes of the Bucks Panthers game, or having to watch this debate. It got better after the first hour. The first hour was just brutal. The healthcare discussion. I mean, we'll talk about it, but <laughs> absolutely, like I was like wondering if my second story window is high enough to jump out of, and I decided it wasn't. But it was just a it, it was a tough night. So to get started, I made just a, a few things that I found extremely noticeable start with some positives there was actually sort of later in the bait i think probably in the third hour maybe in the late second hour this was obviously a crazy three hour long debate there was a topic uh a quick section about education and i actually thought we got some really good answers andrew yang probably had his best moment of the night for me when he talked about how we need to invest more in public education and pay teachers more which i'm so in on those to me and i've told you guys this before education is the most important issue we never talk about so it was great that that got some time on debate when it really hasn't gotten one on any of the recent debates i can remember elizabeth warren and bernie sanders also had some really great answers so that was awesome to hear um and i think that's just we talk so much about the changing economy as it relates to like uh, sort of the climate revolution that we're having where everyone's caring more about the climate. When we talk about automation and how the influence that that's having on our economy and all the different issues that we talk about, education is like not the silver bullet, but in a way, yeah, kind of the silver bullet in that like if we were a better educated society, a better educated country, so many of our problems would look a lot different, Um, our financial system, the leaders we elect. And I was just so happy to hear a short discussion on education. And I hope it's not the last discussion that we hear on education. in this. So I completely didn't watch the second half of that debate. So, (laughs) uh, but I guess the question I have for you is, did they talk about the disparity between urban uh, schools versus the more suburban like school discrepancies that we see just in terms of funding and overall support that they get? They did. So for anyone who doesn't know that educate our schools are actually paid for through property taxes. And that means in areas where home values are higher and people are paying more property taxes that the schools are going to be better. Now the federal government and state governments do give additional funding to low income communities for schools. So Um, Some of the districts in that school do actually spend more money, but there's a lot of debate on where the money exactly comes from and who controls the funding, right? Sometimes if the federal government, say, gives money to a school district, they'll dictate what that money can be used for. And that did get brought up briefly. Like, it wasn't a long topic, maybe 15 minutes out of a three-hour marathon that we got on education, but it was brought up and, like, 
those were actually some pretty, for me, some of the memorable answers. Andrew Yang had a great quote where he said, uh, a good teacher is worth his or her weight in gold. And I think that's like something I absolutely agree with. Like teachers have, you know, some of the most important jobs in our society and they should be paid as professionals. And I think the average school t- teacher makes something around for like 40 to $45,000, which is obviously just way too low. So they talked about a lot of things in terms of improving the education system, you know, improving how we pay teachers so that it's more competitive career, um, reducing the disparity um, within communities. And Cory Booker talked to them about that. And just it, it needs to be like we talk about radical new approaches when it comes to our economy, healthcare, foreign policy. We need a radical new approach when it comes to teaching. So I was really glad that that made it onto the big stage. Speaking of Cory Booker, that man has come out of nowhere. He, in my eyes, his, I'm starting to like him more as a VP candidate. I, I think there's just the way he was explaining topics, the way his, his intonation was. I, I think he's the kind of, like, he just seemed like he's got the vibe to me. Yeah, I think I said this in the group, but when he talks about sort of values issues, not necessarily like the policy, like wonky type things, like a Warren, for example, when he goes just straight like on his values message on race, on guns, like he's probably the best on that stage just in these debates. And I actually, I think, yeah, he had a great night tonight. And tonight was probably the most important because all the big candidates were there together. But throughout the first two debates, he's actually looked really good to me, at least like that's what I think. He's just got like he's a good public speaker. A lot of these things like are just public speaking, right? Your delivery. I think that's why Kamala is considered to be a good debater is because like from her lawyer days, she's just got good delivery on these issues. Um, and Cory Booker definitely has it as well. Like when he, he gave some answers, they, after the healthcare discussion at the beginning, so it was like the first 45 minutes, I think were about healthcare. And it was quite a painful discussion because they didn't really <laughs> talk about anything substantive. It was sort of like the anchors inviting them to attack each other. And them taking the bait completely. This is, I mean, and I think that's one thing that has to be more mindful of. And a couple of the candidates, you could tell at times, they were like, why are we fighting each other? This is bigger than us. We shouldn't be doing this. And they still, like, managed to attack each other after saying that. Uh, Klobuchar yeah. mainly. But And it, it is an election. So, yeah, they're supposed to they're supposed like, to distinguish bash, each but, other. I but mean, you have to have some, like... It's the same recycled arguments like over and over and over again. And it's like even like so like Biden gave okay, we're moving to healthcare for a moment. Just to go back before we get into okay. the healthcare thing. Cory Booker, so right after healthcare they moved to race. And Cory Booker gave some of what I thought were the best answers on race and mass incarceration. Um, I think, you know, uh, Beto, I believe, mentioned the 1619 project from the New York Times, which is important. We should definitely talk about it. A few other candidates mentioned, like, reparations and things like that, which, like, those are worthy discussions to have, sure. Cory Booker went straight to, instead of talking about the past and, like, what we can do to fix it, let's look at the fact that there are more Black people in jail right now than there were slaves in America in the 1800s. And let's try and fix that problem. And I thought, like, that answer, like, pivoting the racial discussion to mass incarceration was brilliant from Cory Booker. That's, like, exactly where the conversation should be. And during that conversation, that one question posed to Kamala Harris, oh, boy. The look on her face when she got that question, I think it was about, um, 
her during her time as DA, why she supported things and has completely flip flopped on all of her stances now that she's running for president. The look on her face was just like, oh my God. Yeah, and- it's unbelievable. Like, Kamala has gotten that question so many times. I think they asked a question about like Barack Obama's immigration and like his deportation and detention policies, and Biden got asked it. And it's like unbelievable that these guys are getting the same questions at every debate, town hall, interview that they have, and they still haven't come up with a good answer. Like, what are their like communications? I, I don't staff think they. Doing? I don't think they have a good answer. Though. I think that's their big issue. Like Kamala's, Kamala Harris's, like her time during DA, not the best. I, it's really hard to defend what she did. Like she was really cracking down on the nonviolent crimes. Yeah, but I think there's a way. First of all, she could say hey, I was there to enforce the laws that were in place. I wasn't a member of the legislature to pass new laws. And I think she could also say, kind of like how Elizabeth Warren used to be a Republican and is now a Democrat. And she's explained how she's like evolved in her positions. Like Kamala could make that argument that, hey, like this is what I thought before. These are the policies that I supported before I've evolved. And like amazingly, like she just hasn't figured that out yet on like how to do it. Because, like, none of her answers are convincing. Like, it, she has some good moments. Like, I actually thought her opening statement where she kind of talked to Donald Trump. Like, I can see Did some like voters that? being... I didn't, I, I didn't like that at all. I'm not going to lie to you. Personally, I didn't love it. But I can see people liking it. It's one of those, like, it's a really good minute and 30 second... You stick that to uh, the video on Twitter and everyone's like, wow, this is great. And just retweets it. But it's got nothing to offer. And I know yeah, if you ask him on it, everyone, like, like, he'll say like the most of these opening statements are crap anyways. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, mean, I think they should do opening statements like before the televised portion begins. Because they're always just oh, yeah. worthy. And, and it's like, you know and, what they're going to say, too. Yeah. Even the candidates I like, like a Warren or Bernie, like it, it's like come on like we you and it's also completely prepared right oh yeah they yeah. know they have one minute they their staff and like their consultants and speech writers like they all work on this and they like rehearse it a thousand times like word for word so like you're not getting any genuine like discussion there it's just like here's a free one minute ad and we're gonna waste the first 20 minutes of this broadcast giving these candidates like a one minute ad each and like you know what are we doing all right, so I know you made a note about the filibuster, and that was that yeah. was a very interesting one because I can see it from both sides, and I know why Bernie is against abolishing it flat out, but I also understand if you have a full majority, you need to abolish that thing. Yeah, so here's my thing. Bernie has, and I think like like I was having this discussion with someone earlier, like, they're like, oh, well, he can get Medicare through all for all through a budget reconciliation process, which there's like some debate as to whether that's even true. Like, let's say it is. Bernie wants a revolution, right? Taxes, health care, climate, like every big issue you got. Bernie has like super aggressive, super liberal plans on what he wants to do. That does not happen with the filibuster in place. That's just like a fact. You're not even if we somehow got like Barack Obama had 59 Democratic votes in the Senate, still could not get a public option included with this health care plan. So it's just like I don't want to say like it seems disingenuous that he's fighting for all these plans and says, no, I don't want to abolish the filibuster. But it's like 
to me, without abolishing the filibuster, you're saying I have no plausible plan on how I'm going to get this through. Just saying I'm going to get millions of people and a revolution through. That's great. But that's not like something that seems plausible to most people, including me. And I believe I, I, I want to say Warren, Kamala, maybe Castro, maybe a couple other people were like, yeah, we should abolish the filibuster. But it's to me, if you have aggressive plans and you want to have a new deal, LBJ war on poverty type of change in your administration, you can't do it with the filibuster in place in 2019. Like you're never going to get 60 votes for Medicare for all or for a wealth tax or for a a really aggressive climate strategy. It's like just not going to happen. We can't, we can barely get 50 votes. Like there's no guarantee without the filibuster we pass these things. With the filibuster, it's a definite no. It's just one of those things, though, where you look at it, and I guess they're all operating under the assumption that we're going to win the whole damn thing, right? And there's just kind of this rosy picture where it's like, oh, we're going to win all House, the House, the Senate, we're going to win the presidency, and this is going to be like, we'll have the, we'll have the national support, and like, oh, it's, you know, we'll have the the public's going to pressure the Republicans into voting with us or whatever. And if you have that, like, I get it. Like you can do the, get rid of the filibuster and like, like, yeah, you pass new bills. I also understand that if this goes South and the filibuster is gone, it screws the country even more. So it's like a, it's like, but, it's like a okay, really, so can I ask you a question? Sure. If, Donald, let's say hypothetically Donald Trump wins re-election, which he and probably Republicans will. retake, and Republicans retake control of the House, which probably won't happen. But not the it. House, yeah. So Republicans now are back and they have control of all three branches of government. What are the chances Mitch McConnell abolishes the filibuster? Well, they did. Again? They did already for the um, Supreme Court, right? Or was that like a different order that they yeah, brought so up? Yeah. So Mitch McConnell absolutely would. So it's just like. As long as you're willing to have the filibuster there, you're almost saying, like, I want to go into this with one hand tied behind my back. Like, if, like, let's, like, this is why, like, Elizabeth Warren said she does, and it's like, wanted to abolish the filibuster. And it's like, yeah, if she wants to pass her insane policy agenda she has, which isn't insane in the sense that it's bad, insane in the sense that it's, like, completely, like, beyond anything we've ever seen from a presidential candidate. She, you're gonna have to abolish the filibuster because you're not getting sixty votes for any of that. Yeah, that's. We'll see what happens with that one. That one's a. It's an interesting. It's it's yeah. a very it's a very. You have to know the ins and outs of this thing. Like this is not a topic that the average voter will be like, "Oh, this is why we're doing it." This is a very nuanced. Yeah, it's a very nuanced that. topic that I think we can have these discussions, but the average person will well be like, "I don't know what is going on with this." So. Yeah, and I get that. It's just, it's like, you know, people want to support candidates because of their policy. And this isn't an issue of policy as much as, like, how they're going to make that policy a reality. And it, it's, like, this weird respect for tradition. And, like, we see it all throughout our societies. Like, you know, we have to respect our traditions in America. And I'm like, Like why? the flag. Like, what? what yeah, like. Yeah. We'll sorry, sorry. That's, <laughs> that's, that's we a can't do that without topic. a bond. <laughs> um, but it's that's uh, interesting to me. So one last highlight I had was Bernie got a dumbass question about Venezuela, and you know, if you're a socialist and Maduro calls himself a socialist, 
why are we not going to become Venezuela when you become president or something along those lines? And he kills that question every time. <laughs> like he's gotten, I've seen him get that question so many times and he knocks it out of the park every time. And I wish people would stop asking it, but like, once again, like this idea that like what's separating America from Venezuela is Medicare for all is just so stupid. Like, if we adopt Canada's healthcare system, we'll become Venezuela. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> and, like, he answered it perfectly. And, you know, for moderators, for other candidates, like, if you want to criticize socializing certain industries like healthcare, criticize it. We can have that debate. But, like, don't do these dumb, like, we're going to become Cuba or Venezuela if, uh, if, you know, we elect a democratic socialist like Bernie. Like, that's just stupid to me. Again, I didn't see that part of the debate, so that's oh, that's yeah, all. That's okay. all you. That's you. <laughs> okay, so low this, lights. Of the this debate, is the part I'm I looking thought. forward to. This is the fun one. Yeah. So let let's start with the healthcare thing. So the first forty forty five minutes were devoted to a healthcare debate. It started at like the first ten fifteen minutes of just Biden, Sanders, and Warren. Then they expanded it to the other candidates: Klobuchar, Kamala. Booker, whoever, <laughs> all of them got it. All of them in. got some speaking time on this. Yeah, ones. basically, and all of them basically said the same thing. They're like, I'm in favor of the Medicare for all, but you know, there's like nuances to the argument. It's like, oh, I want, uh, I want to make sure that there's an option between picking your health care or where the government gives it to you. Blah blah blah. You know. So the one thing I was yeah, thinking... even Warren separated herself from Bernie a little bit, and I get that like this is an issue Democrats care about, but it's just like. Man, the amount of time and effort and like grief, like all of our social media people were talking about it, and it's just like, like what is know. the what ahead. is the love affair with insurance companies? Why are people so hell bent on protecting the insurance companies, the ones who are out to extort them and make money off of them? It makes no sense. I to saw me. that on I saw that on Twitter, and it's just like. Whether it's Warren or Bernie asking one of their other candidates or the moderators asking one of the other candidates, someone answered to me. I've had this, like, it's kind of similar to an issue I've had on guns. Is like, what is the virtue of having private insurance? It's just a middleman. What benefit? It's middleman, more paperwork. It's less efficient for your doctor to give you care. They actually have to do more (laughs) to make sure that, uh, you know, your insurance will pay out for you and it makes their job harder. I mean, what's so hard about just yeah, giving the money directly to the doctor from the government? Say, hey, this is from us to you. Now just do what you need to yes. do. And it's like, why, and the other thing I don't get is why don't people on the stage just kind of say that? I, it, it dry, I warned it a little but bit. But not enough, right? I mean, that's something she, you can blatantly yeah, say. Yeah, like, when she said, like, oh, people don't like their health insurance. They like their doctors, which Bernie said that, too, in past debates. Like, and that's absolutely true. But yeah, like I completely agree with you that say it, make Biden say why do you think we man his half-assed defense of Obamacare was oh yeah and then he says like oh well like in seven eight you know ten years I want everyone on Medicare and it's just like so you're full of crap like you you, you want you he sees that Bernie and Warren are Medicare for all. He's now trying to develop this brand as I'm the reasonable, electable guy. So he pivots, even though Barack Obama himself said, hey, if I could have my ideal healthcare system, it would be a single pair system. 
right? Like Barack Obama said that before Obamacare passed, that this is just a first step. And like, it, yeah, it, it was, it's so much crap from all the candidates when like the progressive position should be one way or another, we get to single payer healthcare. We can argue about how we get there. I think even Warren and Bernie. Yeah, have some they definitely do. But to see, but to see them tag teaming this issue and working together and, you know, not, they don't agree on the, like totally, like you said, but you can tell that the nuances they are like, all right, we have to stay in this together and we're going to, we're going to be a team on this. I, that warms my heart. Yeah. That really warms my heart. It's it's something it's something precious to see because they they were defending themselves from the other people, but they never took shots at each other. And I was like, you know what, you kind of need a little bit of that during the primary season. That was that was, that was good. To yeah, see. yeah. So my other low light, one of my other low lights was the one liners we're getting. I, I just it, it it's I don't do these people realize how obvious it is that some consultant wrote that for them and that they've had that prepared for like two weeks before this debate. And it completely rings all. Kamala had like five of these. I can't even remember them. And it, uh, Klobuchar has been notorious for this throughout the campaign. And she had, oh, she had the Houston, we have a problem one to start oh, out. Yeah. I almost threw yeah. my laptop at the wall. <laughs> and it's just painful. You know, to the hear, thing like, is like, I, I've actually music. met her. Um, during one of the healthcare debates, Closer. yeah, I during one of the uh, like not even healthcare debates, but just you know they had one of those town halls with with her and Bernie Sanders, and there's like Lindsey Graham and that other guy who tried to like repeal healthcare two years ago. That's actually the way she talks, which is surprising and not surprising at the same time. Which is okay. Like first of all, obviously when you criticize these people, like I'm saying, I don't think they no, should no, be no, a Democratic nomination president. They're good I'm not people. saying they're like yeah, they're she good shouldn't people. be a senator like. Yeah, but come on, like you, like that, that's just obvious. Like, but you know, it's obvious they, they don't care. Like they know. So here's my thing on the one-liners. It these are supposed to be assessments on who would be the best president, and we're supposed to compare these candidates side by side. Those one-liners are absolutely meaningless to me in that discussion. Like we all know that they're completely canned beforehand. Like. Some consultant wrote them, or you've worked on them with your speechwriters. They're like completely cringeworthy. They provide no actual insight. And it's just like you're trying to get a nice applause from the audience. And this also goes back to my point about the audience. And that is why do we have the live audiences at these debates? Like it's a sporting event when these are supposed to be like the one chance we get for candidates to be side by side having at least something close to an intellectual discussion. And instead it's like, oh, let's see who can throw out the snappiest line and get like a WWE crowd <laughs> approval from these candidates. It's completely ridiculous. And it's, it's, so, it's such an easy fix. Like if we can't find a way to keep these audiences quiet and just like they can be there in person but act like they're not there. If we can't figure that out, then we don't have an audience. We put the thing on TV live and unedited so we know what the candidates are actually saying, right? We don't want this to be like a TV show. But, you know, at home, we're just looking at the candidates. We don't care what the audience is cheering for or not. This isn't a sitcom. And, yeah, that's, like, my take on the one-liners and the audience is that it turns these things into, like, a sporting event when they're supposed to be us hearing these people side by side having an intellectual conversation on the issues that we're concerned about in this election 
And it's, and, you know, this debate isn't that. It's, it's these guys all having a rally together, seeing who can get the biggest applies. Or that's what it feels like at times, especially when we have certain candidates, the like Yang, Kamala, and Klobuchar, I think were the three worst I saw on that stage tonight. I don't know. What do you think about all so this? So I've been in one of these audiences before. Like, granted, it was a much smaller audience than what was in this debate room. Um, but I can tell you very confidently that about half of the audience members were probably staffers or very ardent fans of some of these candidates. And it completely ruins the illusion that these are just like your regular voters who are interested about these issues. Now, and, like, and I feel like if you brought the average person into that room and sat up, like the average voter from, what was in Texas Southern, right? Texas Southern University? Uh, I think it was Houston. Okay. One of, it was one of those HBCUs. I just can't. I just I can't can't remember that one. Uh, but if you brought like the average voter and sat them down, and then said, "Hey, like here are your candidates," I feel like the candidates would also somewhat lower their jargon to sort of explain yeah, the things like, to the audience. But instead, they've got their own staffers out there, so they're they're explaining these complex policies as if like we all understand it. And obviously for us, it's easy for us to, you know, pick up on these ideas and we're like, oh, yeah, well, this makes sense because of this, this and this. Right. But for the average person, they hear some of these things. And I can still tell you, like if some of my friends, if they were listening to this, they'd, they'd listen to about five or ten minutes and then check out and be like, this is too much. I'm just going to watch sports instead. It's yeah, it's a disaster. The audience is just. Yeah, it and. Yeah, like, and even, and even, like, I get that, you know, like, there's no good time for protest, and anytime you have a chance on, like, a big platform or big stage, and you're protesting something you care about, it's good to speak up, but, like, this isn't one of them. Once again, like, this is our one (laughs) opportunity, not one, just this debate, but debates are the one time we get to see these candidates who are running for president on a stage next to each other, and... I, it's not that like if protesters have that opening, sure they should take it. My point is they shouldn't have that opening because we shouldn't have audiences. Like this is for the millions of people watching at home to see these candidates. And then it's also like when we have audiences, then it becomes about where they are, right? So they all have to spend the first ten minutes pandering to Texas voters and to people in Houston. I'm like, you know, oh, <laughs> like Beto's like I'm a congressman from Texas, and Castro's like. Well, I was in San Antonio, and then Warren's like, "Well, I went to Houston." And it's like, let's see who can have the biggest Texas cred, as if anyone gives a shit. <laughs> and it's, 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 yeah, it's a nightmare. So the last kind of quick hits, tough area. Oh, I wanted to oh, go. Yeah, one more. Well, yeah, let's quick hits go through the candidates and just kind of say the. Let's go through the top tier of candidates, uh, and kind of say what we said. So we'll we'll start at Buttigieg and work our He's... way. He's what okay. do you think? Buttigieg is one of those candidates where he. I, it, He's impressive to me only in the fact that he managed to say the most amount of words without actually saying anything at all. Because yeah. they were talking no. about every single topic they went to. If you go back and look at his answers, all he says is like, oh, well, I don't fundamentally agree with the ideas that we have here because it won't work for this, this, and this reason. What we have to do is find a way to fix this problem by like unifying or something, you know, some like broad words. And then he says, I have a plan for this. Yeah. That doesn't actually do anything, but it makes us feel good together. And it's like, come on, man. 
Yeah, I guess like, and in this debate, in this primary, I feel like the lanes or sort of Eric corners of the Democratic Party have been talked about more than any other. And like, you know, Warren has sort of like the college educated progressives, like she's got the corner on that. And like the Bernie and Biden sort of are splitting the non-educated, you know, white men in the Democratic Party. And, you know, it goes down and down and it's just like, Buttigieg like who are you talking to exactly like I feel like the younger educated like super progressive millennials are like much more in the Warren Bernie camp and I feel like the more moderate people are much more in like the Biden maybe even Kamala camp and it's like who who are you talking to exactly Buttigieg like who are you supposed to appeal to all right so we talked about Cory Booker Cory Booker is yeah we talked about Cory Booker he had a good showing (laughs) He's not. He's yeah, not. He's, he's not he's top not... tier, but he's. I think he's solid middle tier right now, which is good for him yeah, considering for sure. how he's polling. Uh, Bernie top for tier. Sure. Bernie, yeah, Bernie. Bernie's top so tier. first of all, he was like kind of sick tonight. You could tell, like his I, voice. I, see, was just... we were talking about this, and I think it was actually him just yelling on the campaign trail. I think his voice was just hoarse. Yeah, well, whatever it was, like from a delivery sort of performance standpoint, he wasn't great, but. He, Bernie is Bernie like he's so consistent you almost have to marvel at it like whatever the topic is whoever he's on stage with whatever the environment is town hall debate rally whatever it is like Bernie is Bernie he does his thing he's got his speech down he's got his thing and you know there's like nothing to say about him like you've heard him once you've heard him a thousand times Bernie does his thing better work I, so the way I'll describe him is the angry, passionate Beto O'Rourke is solid middle tier, but your like standard pandering to the Texas locals is definitely bottom tier. Yeah, I guess my point for him is similar to Buttigieg, and that is like in a field this big, and with people like Biden, Warren, Bernie, like these true heavyweights in the party, like kind of going at it. What do you have to offer that the other candidates don't? And Beto just hasn't answered that question. For I me. still think passionate Beto O'Rourke. Senate uh, Senate candidate, please. That would again, like Absolutely. like we said earlier. These are we might not like them as presidential candidates, but as Senate candidates, a lot of these people would definitely be people who, like automatically vote for him. He's, I mean, he's got that oh, yeah. charm and he's got that appeal, and he clearly cares about Texas. I mean, it's a perfect. And I saw some takes on Twitter on the Twitter sphere that Beto Booker and Castro are basically competing to be Warren's VP if she gets a nomination. Warren and Booker. I like it. All right, Kamala Harris. I, I, I like it too. Kamala Harris. Kamala. I don't like her at all, so I'm just going to abstain from this one. So she, like I said, in those, like, like her opening addresses and in those kind of, like, set-piece moments, she you can see the lawyer in her come out, and, like, she's very good at delivering those. Like, people say, like, it's better to have a good lawyer than, like, actually be not guilty. And, like, she's, like, you can see, like, She's very convincing and has a lot of, like, she's just, like, in the delivery, she's great. Like, she's got it down. And just, to me, so much of it doesn't come down as genuine. She's too slick for me. She's too, like, like, I've got this planned out. I'm the ultimate chess player. And it's just like, okay, but what do you believe? Like, what are you going to fight for? That, That Warren thing of, like, and Bernie, like, you know what Warren's view is, what Bernie's view is, and what they're fighting for. Even Biden, like, to a certain extent, you kind of get 
the emotions behind where he's coming from. For Kamala, it just sort of seems like I want to be president. I have this mapped out and like I'm going to do what it takes to get to where I want and not necessarily like she actually believes the things she's talking about. It's all it all seems too prepared and too telegraphed for me with Kamala. I just didn't like the way she was just all about. Let's talk about Trump. And I was like, if you're running for president, that means Trump's out of the picture. Let's talk about the future a little bit. That was that was sort of my opinion of it. I was. Yeah. Yes and no. I, I do think, like in, on the healthcare thing, for example, I forgot who it was. I think it might have actually been Kamala, but or maybe, maybe it was maybe it was on guns, but it was on one of those issues where like they're all debating amongst each other on who has the best policy, and one of them was basically like, okay, but like let's keep it in context of like, you know what the other side's trying to do is like they're trying to take your like they're trying to pass a healthcare bill that's. Not more progressive than Obamacare. It's basically a love letter. Yeah, but that, again, that's not, that's, not, that's not just a Trump thing, right? That's going to be an ongoing Republican thing. Yeah, but I, I do think it's, it's somewhat useful to remind people, like, overall what we're running against. But yeah, you're right. For her, it's like every question. Yeah, it's every it question. It's if like, you don't want someone We get it. All 10 of you are better than Trump. Like, All right, so we are a notorious... Elizabeth Warren fan club on here, so I don't think anything. She's just, she's the queen. She's the best. Elite tier. Yeah, elite tier. I, Stick her up in that category. Amongst the top three, Biden, Warren, Sanders. I, I don't know how you go away from this, not thinking she was the smartest, most coherent. The way she talks, most well out. just inspires so much confidence and hope. It's just so beautiful. It's, yeah, like those are like kind of your positive moments, and like like it's just she's also like you can tell like you can see why she was a good student while she was a good teacher why she's been so successful she's like the most prepared one out there she's like got her answers ready she's got you know she understands these issues more deeply than maybe anyone on stage and yeah like i i completely agree with you like it when we had that initial healthcare discussion you've got biden talking about i don't know what the hell <laughs> you've got Bernie giving his speech, but partially because of like the way he sounded, partially just because we've heard it before. It's just like this same it's broken record of Bernie. Yeah, it's the consistency. And then she comes out and she talks about costs and you know what I'm reading her book right now, um, the two income trap, which is all about her take on the middle class experience and just the understanding she has of these issues and how it connects to everyday people. Like, I feel like she's just so far and away above everyone. On the issue of guns, all these people are debating, do we take away assault weapons and this and that? And um, it's just like, she goes, well, you know, none of these plans are going to happen as long as we have the filibuster in place. And it's like, constantly, she just gets to the point in a way that all these other people don't. So I think the last candidate we have, the only one we haven't talked about, is our boy Joe Biden. Joe Biden and, and um, Julian. I, we'll we'll say Julian for so, last because I, I guess they do go together. They go together. In well, this case. so 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 we can talk about Julian real quick first. Actually, his big moment was when he kind of he like three or four times went after Biden. I, I I think it was effective attacks on Biden. I don't know how much it made, it made me like Julian. I saw some people saying Julian Castro won the debate. I'll let you know. Like I want to know what you think about this, but I, I don't know. I wasn't overly impressed with Julian. It Castro. wasn't. I think his attacks on Biden were valid, but he also just. 
kind of appeared like like once again like this is what he had prepared to do which i never liked those over like where it comes across as like you've rehearsed it, 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 it so that is true but it's there's some that's the inter- entertaining aspect of this debate where you can tell that he was like i'm going down but if i'm going down i'm bringing you with me sort of thing and it was just kind of yeah. that for the first half of that debate as i was struggling to watch that that was some form of entertainment um obviously the attack on biden was childish and it was kind of one of those things where you look at it and you're like, you didn't need to do that. Especially like the, oh, you forgot what you said two minutes ago. Eh. Like, yeah, I think we got to get, we had to do so better. We, we can do better. At, at this that. point. Yeah. And we got to jump into this Biden thing real quick. Let's not spend yeah, too long on it. But even the attacks on Biden I've heard in these debates don't, I think accurately. And I was surprised, like, I think I thought you thought everyone in like the sort of political Twitterverse and podcast world and cable news world all thought this was going to be Warren Biden and it totally wasn't. And I, I think the attack, like the reason I wanted that was because I think my biggest issues with Biden aren't that he's old or losing a step or like, I think Kirsten Gillibrand tried to make some argument in the last debate that like, he thinks women shouldn't work out of the house. And like, of course he doesn't actually think that. And I think some of the attacks you've seen on Biden are yeah. just silly. Like my issues with Biden are like when he goes on a five minute rant about healthcare and you still don't know where he actually stands at the end of it. Like when he wants to tell us, you know, this is what's possible and this is what's not, but kind of half asses like what his actual plan is and like how he feel like doesn't feel like a significant jump forward from the Obama years. Those are my issues with Biden. And I feel like some of these second tier candidates sort of just miss that. Like, and like they spent too much time watching CNN and too much time reading the New York times and like miss what like progressives actual concerns with Joe Biden are. Like you said earlier, it's the one liners. This is the stuff that gets them political clout and they're just, they're willing to sell out the important messages to get those extra hits on social media. Yeah, and I guess now, like, we can kind of wrap up the debate and, like, what the impact is. And I think, ultimately, it's low impact because I think, like I said, Bernie was Bernie. Yeah, we didn't Warren we was learn great. a she'll whole keep, lot from this. This is, like you she'll said. She'll keep ticking up. Like, yeah, Warren's gained, like, one or two points, like, every month, it feels like. I think that'll continue. She was strong. She's done her thing. Bernie was Bernie, so I don't think he changes much. And I don't think Biden didn't have a good night. Sure, like, he's... First of all, as a public speaker this entire campaign, I think he's been disastrous. He's struggling. Like, he's so struggling. And it's frustrating for me because I think Warren has been astonishing in how good she is. And yet Biden's, like, numbers aren't going to change because I don't think any of the attacks landed. We didn't really get to see the Biden-Warren or Biden-Bernie kind of divide in the Democratic Party. We got it a little bit in the healthcare discussion, but... Like, we've had that conversation before. I really wanted to hear talk about economics. Like, Warren has this wealth tax. Bernie always talks about the 1% paying more. And I want to hear Biden defend maybe why he thinks that shouldn't be the case. And we didn't get that discussion. So, yeah, I, I don't think this will be a hugely affected debate. I think in two, three w- weeks when Nate Silver does his analysis of the polls, he's going to tell us that, you know what, Not, like, Bernie, Biden's had his... 27 28 percent bernie and warren are at 18 percent or whatever and everyone else is you know yeah. way behind and I, I don't see anything that changed it 
So just previewing the next debate real quick. It, I think it, um, apparently it's actually going to be split into oh two my debates. Oh, God. Not again. Tom, so, Tom, so, yeah, Tom Steyer has no, qualified. Why? That's 11 what candidates. What are you doing? And Tulsi Gabbard just got her third poll God. this week that says she's at 2%. So if one more poll comes out saying Tulsi's at 2%, then she will also if qualify. If nothing else about this debate, I'm just glad that they were all progressives. Yeah, so I guess – my thing for the next debate, and I guess they have this thing where they're like, we don't want JV debates and just separated by polling numbers. And I'm like, you know what? If they are second tier candidates, then they should be on the JV stage. Like, I don't think we should have. I don't like if, if we don't get like if we have we're going to have six people up there. I want Warren, Bernie, Biden, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, like. And then put the Klobuchar's, the Tulsi Gabbard, like the second tier candidates, put them on a second stage. Because personally, like, I want to hear the top tier candidates go at it. And I want to see what the difference is between our, uh, they are. And I don't want to hear, you know, Julian Castro, like, making his Hail Mary attempt at taking down one of the top tier candidates. Like, that's not that interesting to me. And like that's I, I don't and I think the demo, the DNC wants to have these like you know CNN random drawings for the debates and it's just going to be really frustrating. All right, so another successful but pretty much useless debate. Um, yeah. So let's just I guess there's a couple of news things that we can talk about real quickly here in the last couple of minutes. Um, John Ossoff running for a Georgia Senate seat. How do you feel about that? You know what? If he wins, then great. <laughs> <laughs> like he's not someone who excites. He me is a the definition in my he's mind. He is the guy. definition of watered down chocolate milk. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's 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 the generic white guy. Like you could have pulled him from any I like still, lands and I catalog. still can't like, believe Stacey he, Abrams is running for it. She definitely wants. Biden's VP seat, but I think we'll save that for we'll save yeah. that for when everyone's back. That's a that's a that's a full fledged discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I wish we had stronger people running, but if at the end of the day John Ossoff can unseat David Perdue, great, let's have it. I'll vote for oh, him. Oh, definitely, I'm with it. Um, you know, he he didn't have a great first campaign. I I wish, you know, we have a few Democratic Congress people, not necessarily John Lewis, but like other democratic congress members or how like state leaders at like you know stacy abrams was the leader of the democrats in the georgia house you know whoever the latest leader of the democrats in the georgia house is why don't they run the mayor of columbus former mayors of atlanta like we do not want to see marie running for john (laughs) yikes no but why we have to have john ossoff is like a little bit beyond me but you know what at this point i want those seats to be blue so I don't really care who's running. The the Trump so, administration. Ashwin, I know. Uh, sorry. Well, okay. I was I was gonna introduce. I know you wanted to talk about Indian detention camps. Oh God, um, yeah. Why don't you talk? A little all right. Bit about all that. I can think of is Taylor Twelman talking about the U.S. national team, and it's like, what are we doing here? What are we doing? It's we. What do you? They got like 1.2 million people who don't have birth certificates and don't have registrations, and so the Indian government's response to it is, "Hey, let's build detention camps for them." And not only that, the government is passing bills so that the the Hindus 
and the the Buddhist and the and the Sikh populations that are considered under this list that they're uh, setting up, they would be exempt uh, from having to hold a birth certificate, but the Muslims won't be. So this is clearly a targeted attempt to put people who have lived there for decades in some cases uh, into detention camps. And it's like, what are we doing here? (laughs) We can't have this. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And like, it's, it's the Western media when Modi first got elected, like totally propped him up as this like reformist leader and super popular. I fell for it. And, I'm not gonna lie you know, to you, I Mo- fell for it too. When he first got elected, I oh, think we yeah. all I fell mean for you it. watch like the like the Fareed Zakaria special oh, on Modi God, and you're yeah. like, Oh, this is the best guy since the best thing since sliced bread and it's just like he's turned out to be like the Indian equivalent of Bibi Netanyahu. You know he's never like, given a domestic press conference? Because he, because he, he yeah, never gets grilled, so he always goes to foreign press conferences. That was sensational to me. I was like, "How do you do this?" Yeah, and he's become he's part of this whole like Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, Bibi Netanyahu, like these sort of far right nuts who have like taken over in all these countries. And you can just add Modi to the list. They all have like, similar body shapes. I just thought about that. That's kind of interesting. There's there's a trend <laughs> going on here. Well, yeah, like old ultra privileged men who like nationalists. It's just, yeah, complete nationalists. So I guess our last story. Oh no, 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 no. we got yours. We got yours. We have we have to talk about the Trump administration trying to ban vaping. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't been following the news, there's been some stories about people suffering from breathing conditions and other respiratory issues due to vaping. Um, obviously vaping is, it, I'm not saying, here's my take. So obviously vaping has become more and more popular in recent years. It started as quote unquote, an alternative to cigarettes, but it's really transformed like kind of beyond that. Uh, there's a lot of issues where like high school kids, middle school kids are like getting addicted to like jewel and stuff, even though they've never smoked before. And these things were supposedly, uh, tools to help people quit smoking. I'm all for like the discussion on vaping and whether it needs to be more regulated and whether it's not serving its original purpose and it's gone too far. But it, it's wild to me that we've jumped to this as, oh, we need to ban you know vaping and jewels and all this stuff because six people have died when, uh, you know, 40,000 people die from guns every year. Hundreds of thousands of people die from tobacco <laughs> every year. Uh, over 50,000 people die every year from the opioid crisis. I think so far in the history of these e-cigarettes and vaping, six people have so, died. Yeah, yeah, six? yeah. Lung, lung disease, as they say. <laughs> six people so far confirmed. Yeah, but because, you know, Good Morning America does a special on it and suburban white moms are outraged, suddenly we're talking about it and the Trump administration is leaping to action because you know this is the bullshit that's trending on social media and it just goes to show you like if these people wanted to actually make progress on important issues that are killing thousands of people every month they could do it but they choose not to because it's not what you know their privileged white customers or viewers on tv or voters want 
And, you know, that's my And rant. let's not forget, it took one child being killed by a metal-tipped lawn dart for them to completely ban metal-tipped lawn darts. Just to put it all in perspective, it took one. <laughs> and... Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we can get into all the hypocrisy. I mean, I don't... I, we'll say that one for we'll say that one for the real pod. Let's do that. Yeah, well, I don't want to get too hot takey <laughs> on this, but I'll just say this: like we had one incident, like nine eleven was a horrible day, definitely, and we completely transformed airport security and what it takes to get on a plane and the grief we put travelers through every day. And you know, it's. You know, like like three thousand people died. That was bad. Like I said, hundreds of thousands of people die from smoking cigarettes every day, every year. Uh, tens of thousands die from opioids. Tens of thousands die from guns. We don't do anything about it, so it's like selective outrage constantly in America. So let's wrap up for this. And I know you have one final thing you want to bring up, so let's hear it. Out. All right, for our sports fans out there. What in the world is Antonio Brown doing? <laughs> the man is a clown, uh, a disaster, uh, a legend. You almost rapist. worry. You almost worry if like the hits he's been taking. In the I NFL think it's the perfect hit. I think like, it's the perfect it. hit. I think he took that hit and it was just a little bit too much. And it like that was a big hit. <laughs> he was just lying on the ground, right? Man, like because. Like these, so anyone who doesn't know, he got uh, a his former trainer came out and accused him of sexually assaulting her on multiple occasions this past week. And it, she said it was over the years 2017, 2018. And also, basically, since 2017, his behavior has been batshit crazy consistently. And like, like I said, like you almost worry that there's something wrong with this guy because, like, he was this is statistically one of the five best wide receivers ever and he's been acting like a lunatic for the last couple years and it's getting worse and worse and the raider stuff that happened and who knows what's going to happen to him now that these charges have come out there it's also like like we hear obviously in the last couple years we've heard so many of these allegations coming out about sexual assault and other types of sexual misconduct but like even this story is so bizarre in the way that it came out and the emails that were attached to it and the sort of firm response and denial he gave. And like, it's just, he, everything about Antonio Brown has been absolutely insane. Do you think he suits up as a Patriot? Probably not. My, my get, cause well, so right now he's practicing and he hasn't been put on that commissioner's exempt list yet. I, I just don't know in today's climate, how, you let him play like, like this weekend. And I think if he ends up getting suspended for eight weeks, nine weeks, whatever, like Bill Belichick is like very savage and like his willingness to cut people. And I think he's just like, we don't want the distraction at some point. All right. This has been a very successful emergency podcast. Yeah. Thank you guys. Shout out to Oman. Shout out to Cena. for not being here. Our boys. Uh, we yeah, we promise next week we'll have the political Jason Whitlock having with us. jobs and girlfriends yeah, like yeah, imagine that. Yeah, we don't have to deal with those oh, problems. No, that's why we're here. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, this is this is gonna come back to haunt us. I, I have a job. This is gonna haunt us. For the, this is gonna haunt the, me for specifically. The All right.
All right, then. Uh, appreciate right. it. And, Good uh, talking with you, brother. We'll, uh, we'll do this again next week.